Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. As today we'll be wrapping up the ninth chapter in the Gospel of Mark after only a mere five weeks, looking specifically today at verses 42 through 50, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ offers his disciples some dire warnings about sin, which comes right on the heels, church, of Jesus Christ teaching his disciples or pointing out to his disciples that anyone who is not against us is for us, which actually all took place after Jesus' disciples said to Jesus Christ, specifically that of the apostle John, that they saw someone who was casting out demons in your name and that they saw someone who was successfully casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ or by the authority of Jesus Christ, thus seemingly indicating here, church, that this man was indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, instead of celebrating with this man and encouraging this man and rejoicing with this man for all the work that he was doing in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus' disciples instead, as we see in verse 38, tried to stop this man since he was not following us. Not because, church, he was not following Jesus Christ, but instead he was not following us, as in not following that of the twelve disciples here. And thus, because of that, Jesus' disciples then, verse 38, tried to pridefully stop him since, at least in their minds, church, they were the only ones who had the right to be casting demons out in the name of Jesus and not that of anyone else. To which Jesus Christ then says to them in verse 39, for do not stop him since, verse 39, no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. And furthermore, verse 40, because the one who is not against us is for us. And that since there is absolutely no neutrality or impartiality or indifference when it comes to that of Jesus Christ, That if someone then is following Jesus Christ or associating themselves with Jesus Christ or successfully then doing the works of Jesus Christ, that they then at the same time cannot be an enemy of Jesus Christ and thus should be welcomed then by the disciples of Jesus Christ since they are indeed all on the same team. Because even if someone... As Jesus Christ goes on to explain in verse 41, gives a cup of water to one of his disciples because they belong to him, for even that church is an act of service to Jesus Christ the King, and thus displays that that person is for Jesus Christ and not against Jesus Christ, and thus verse 41 will by no means then lose their reward, but instead will surely receive it. Since we have a God, church, who sees all things, who knows all things, who remembers all things, and who will by no means overlook any act of Christian service that is done to his people because they are his people, no matter how small or how unassuming that act of Christian service might be. However, on the flip side of that church, God also then, as we see in our text today, does not overlook anything that is done to his people 
that could cause them to stumble in their faith as well. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Hell is real, and its fires are unquenchable, and thus wage the good warfare, Christian, against your sins, since that is a mark of those who will be part of the kingdom of God forever. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this, hell is real, and its fires are unquenchable, and thus wage the good warfare, Christian, against your sins, since that is a mark of those who will be part of the kingdom of God forever. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you this morning, as our gift to you on this day. And if you do indeed take and keep one of our church Bibles this morning, please also then open that Bible up at this time to page 845 and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 9 this morning, church, looking specifically at verses 42 through 50, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We will be glad that you are the one who makes all days. We will be glad that you are our God this morning, that you have given us the gospel, that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ given us the gift of salvation by grace through faith in him. Rejoice that we are brothers and sisters in Christ together, who although we were once far off, have been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have much to be joyful about this morning. But Father, as we continue to grow in Christ's likeness, Lord, I pray that we as a church body continue to pursue peace with everyone. 
that we put our haughtiness and our pride and our ego aside and that we be quick to serve one another and not to try to tear each other's faith down or to cause each other to sin. And Lord, that we look at our own lives this morning, and if we see sin in our own lives, that we don't treat it like a cute pet that we can parade around before our church members, but we see this as a dangerous animal that could kill us. And Lord, we do whatever we need to do in order to put this sin to death in our lives. For let us be obedient to you, Father, obedient to your word, desperate, Father, to grow in Christ-likeness and to be a servant to your Son, Jesus Christ, and to those who belong to him. And let this humility then flow throughout this church body so that we have this salt within ourselves and that we have much peace between one another. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with these dear ones this morning. I pray you help my lisping and stammering tongue. Lord, help me to deliver your word how you want it to be delivered this morning for your glory and to edify these dear ones here. So that all that we do today, Father, is a glorifying and fragrant sacrifice to you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, woe to those who pridefully seek to cause the children of God to stumble in their faith. Woe to those who pridefully seek to cause the children of God to stumble in their faith. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So just as our God sees and notices and observes all the wonderful acts of service that are done to his children, because they are his children, even down to the most modest act of giving them something to drink, so too does our God also then notice and see and observe all those who cause his beloved children to stumble in their faith as well. And I say that because Jesus Christ, he opens here in verse 42 by initially saying that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. And Jesus Christ, he is using the phrase little ones here, church, not in order to describe that of little children or babies or even that of infants or anything like that, but instead who Jesus Christ is speaking about here, church, is about those who follow him and who belong to him and who are his disciples and who, verse 42, believe in him. And that whoever causes one of these little ones or these followers of Jesus Christ to sin, or as the NLT puts it, to fall into sin, or as the NIV puts it, to stumble, or as Mark Strauss puts it, to compromise their faith via a temptation that leads to sin or a false teaching that distorts their faith or that of anything else, that verse 42 it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And the image that Jesus Christ is depicting here, church, 
is that the wicked act of causing one of his followers to sin or causing one of his followers to stumble in their faith, that it would be better for that person who does so to have a giant stone, the kind of stone church that would be literally used to grind up grain back within the culture of the day that was so big and so heavy and so large that it could only be turned or moved by a donkey or some other kind of beastly animal, that it would be better church for a stone that big and that heavy and that large to be hung around that person's neck and for them to be thrown into the sea and to drown to death than it would be for that same person to cause one of the children of God to be ensnared by sin or to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ. Implying here, church, as David Garland points out, that it is better to drown in the sea with no chance of escape and to face the judgment that God will dish out to those who lead others into sin. And thus, let us be sure then, as a church body, that no one here, church, is playing the role this morning of the prideful or the egotistical or the arrogant church member who takes joy in cunningly leading Christians into sin in order to make themselves look good, or who takes pleasure in arrogantly seeking to dismantle the faith of Christians in order to display how smart and intelligent they are, or who even takes great satisfaction in getting sincere believers to stumble in their faith, also that they might be able to step into their leadership roles and positions. But instead, let us as a church body love our brother and our sister in Christ by helping them, church, mature in faith in Jesus Christ and not to be skeptical of him and to follow the commandments of Jesus Christ and not to turn away from him and to help them grow in their love, in their devotion, and in their admiration of Jesus Christ and to not ever become ashamed of him since although the temptation Temptations of this world to sin, church, will surely come, as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made clear. Woe to him through whom they come by. And thus, because of that, do not ever then, church, allow yourself to pridefully become a stumbling block in the faith before those who belong to Jesus Christ. Which brings us now, church, to point number two, which is this. Christian, be willing to give up everything that this sinful world has to offer in order to receive the glorious gift of eternal life. Christian, be willing to give up everything that this sinful world has to offer in order to receive the glorious gift of eternal life. Verses 43 through 48, which read, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, before we get into the text this morning, church, or into verses 43 through 48, you might have noticed that in your ESV translation, and that of many others for that matter, that we are missing verses 44 and 46. And the reason behind that is, is because the phrase where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, which some translations do indeed include as verses 44 and 46 respectively, for they simply do not appear in the earliest manuscripts that we have concerning this text, and thus were likely then added at a later time by a copyist which is ultimately the reason why verse 44 and verse 46 have been excluded from our text here today. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ, he now transitions here, church, from talking about causing one of his little ones to sin in verse 42 to now talking about keeping yourself from sinning in verses 43 through 48 by saying initially to his disciples here in verse 43 that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And that if your hand continually causes you to sin, or what you do, church, continually causes you to sin, that verse 43, you should cut it off. Since it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And just to make sure that we are all on the same page here, church, For Jesus Christ is not advocating here for us to literally be cutting off our hands in order to keep ourselves from sinning. And I say that because as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 14, for example, we should not be cutting ourselves. And thus this call by Jesus Christ to cut off our hand as a means to keep ourselves from sinning should not be understood literally, church, but instead metaphorically. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ, he does not stop there, because as we also see in verse 45, he says, if your foot causes you to sin, to cut it off. And again in verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, to tear it out. And that if your foot causes you to sin by taking you to places where you continually sin, or if your eye causes you to sin by continually viewing things that are sinful, that it is better for you to lose a hand or to lose a foot or to lose our eye and to receive the gift of eternal life than it is for you to keep both hands and keep both feet and keep both eyes and be thrown into the depths of hell forever. Verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now we are living at a time, church, make no mistake about it, where even some self-professing Christians today are denying the reality of hell or a place where God will ultimately end eternally pour out his wrath on the unrepentant and instead are believing that when someone unrepentant dies that they actually then at some point just kind of get annihilated church or just kind of go bye-bye church and do not then have to worry about the eternal wrath of a holy God against their very sin. 
whereas some other self-professing Christians today, church, confess that since God is all-loving, that he could not possibly then actually judge and condemn and pour out his holy wrath on the unrepentant in hell forever, but that instead, since again God is love, that he will just then end up saving everyone who is here on earth in the end, no matter what. For I remember that in college church I had a professor who did not believe in a literal hell, And when asked why he did not believe in a literal hell by a student one day, my professor simply replied back by saying to him, in essence, because the idea of hell is scary. And he was absolutely right, church, and that hell is absolutely terrifying and horrifying and petrifying and scary. However, he was absolutely wrong was on his notion that hell church was somehow not real. And I say that because as Jesus Christ himself makes clear in our text today that not only is hell real, but it's also a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Symbols here, church, as Eckerd Schnebel explains, of the horrors of the divine judgment that are to come since fire and worms both absolutely destroy. Which is why then, church, Jesus Christ gives such a powerful and such a profound and such a penetrating call to action to his disciples here to seek to kill, to cut off, and to destroy that of their sin since it is better for them to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into the depths of hell forever. For I read a story this week, church, about a blind man who once was asked if he had any desire to get his sight back or to have it restored. To which the man replied, no, because Jesus Christ himself said, if that your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And thus God probably knew that my eyes would cause me to sin, so much so that it would endanger my soul and keep me out of his kingdom forever. And so God must have prevented this great and evil thing from happening to me by not giving me eyes that could see at all. And I sincerely thank him for that. And thus, practically speaking here, church, for what then does it mean for us as Christians today, right here, right now, to metaphorically then cut off our hand and our foot, and to pluck out our eye in order to keep ourselves from sinning. And quite honestly, church, for that all depends on what areas of your life might be tempting you to sin. And thus, because of that, my loving counsel then to each and every one of you here today is to critically then evaluate your life here this morning and to try to figure out where sin might be trying to tempt you in your life. 
or be crouching behind a certain door in your life or potentially be already taking root in your life. And if you see that it is drunkenness, Christian, then cut the head off the snake and stop going to bars. Or if it is pornography, Christian, then yank out its roots and don't let yourself go on the computer alone. Or if it's a love for money, Christian, then remove that stumbling block out of your life and cheerfully then give your money away. In essence, make every possible effort, Christian, to resist sin, to flee from sin, to fight against sin, to war against sin, and to ultimately then cut off, kill, and mortify your sin. Since it is way better for you, Christian, to stop going to the bar so that drunkenness doesn't rule over you, or to stop going on your computer alone so that pornography doesn't reign over you, or to sell your house, your car, your boat, or that valuable collection of yours so that idolatry doesn't lord over you and you receive the gift of eternal life than it is for the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life to continually rule over you and to be thrown into the depths of hell forever and thus be relentless Christian and persistent Christian and constant, continual, and unwavering Christian in your fight against your sin, Christian, because if you are not trying each and every day to kill the sin in your life, Christian, then make no mistake about it, your sin, as the Puritan John Owen famously wrote, will be killing you. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, you have heard me talk a lot this morning about sin, and I realize that you might be sitting there this morning thinking, man, for I have stumbled a lot into sin and have struggled a lot with sin and have really made a shipwreck of my faith because of my sin to the point that it seems as though this place called hell is exactly what I deserve for my sin. And if that is you this morning, non-Christian, you are indeed right and that hell is exactly what you deserve for your sin. I mean, it's exactly what I deserve for my sin, what all the members of this church body deserve for their sin, and really what each and every person here today deserves for their sin as well. However, the good news this morning, non-Christian, is that there is a Savior named Jesus Christ who can save us from each and every one of our sin and keep us from being condemned into the depths of hell forever, and he did that for us non-Christian by coming into this world as truly God and as truly man and initially living for us the life that we could never live and that the law of God that we as sinners break over and over again each and every day Jesus Christ when he came into this world for he never broke that law once but instead lived a perfect and sinless and righteous life here on earth and thus fulfilled in its entirety the very law of God, non-Christian, perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense all for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God 
all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself, non-Christian, was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Since the wage of our sin, non-Christian, or the price of our sin, non-Christian, is that of death. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ willingly then paid the price for our sin on our behalf by being nailed to and crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned, and in doing so, completely then appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, this sinless Son of God, completely then appeased the wrath of a holy God all toward the very children of God. Three days later then, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who play their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of verses 49 and 50, or particularly in light of the second part of verse 50, which reads, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now in short here, church, in verse 49, this phrase, salted with fire, likely has to do with Jesus Christ affirming here that his true disciples have to be willing to give themselves up as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ, even as they go through the fiery trials and tribulations of this world, Romans chapter 12. Whereas the phrase in verse 50, church, that salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? For that seems to be implying that the true disciple of Jesus Christ must not lose their saltiness, if you will, or what makes them distinctly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Since if they do, for how then can they have any type of life-giving or preserving or cleansing effect on this fallen and depraved world around us? To which Jesus Christ then says to his disciples in verse 50, Have salt within yourselves. In essence here, church, be obedient to Jesus Christ. And deny yourself, 
Take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ and live a life of holiness devoted to Jesus Christ. And very practically then, Jesus Christ also says in verse 50, be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. And what a timely reminder for us all here today, church, is it not? And I say that because as we continue to grow, Lord willing, as a family here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, there might be times when we get frustrated with each other, or maybe even upset with each other, or maybe even irritated with each other, angry with each other, annoyed with each other, and might even not agree with each other 100% of the time. And thus, when that happens here, church, and I promise you that it most definitely will, do not then, in those instances, church, begin to talk down to your brother in Christ or begin to gossip about your sister in Christ, but instead make it your goal then, Christian, to pursue peace with your brothers and your sisters in Christ and that you humble yourself, take them out for coffee, and begin to get to know them or that you put yourself last, have them over to your house and ask them how you can be praying for them or you be a servant to all, walk a day in their shoes and be willing to share their burdens with them. And thus, as we wrap up Mark chapter 9 this morning, church, and put a bow on this theme of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, let me leave you here, church, with this. For Jesus Christ never said, blessed are the powerful, nor did he ever say, blessed are the fault finders. Nor did he ever say, blessed are the ones who put themselves first and who place others last and who love to tear down the faith of others in order to make themselves look good. But instead, he, Jesus Christ, said, blessed are the meek church. Blessed are the merciful church. Blessed are the peacemakers church, since it is they church who will ultimately be called the sons of God. And thus let us then, as a church body, Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from rivalry or with conceit, but in humility church, let us count others as more significant than ourselves. And let each of us look not only to our own interests, but all also to the interest of others and to have this mind amongst ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man, because if we as a church body here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church keep that kind of humble and meek and merciful mindset amongst ourselves, for we will naturally then, church, pursue peace with everyone and be a powerful, preserving and cleansing and life-giving witness to this fallen and sinful world around us. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body lay down our arrogance and our ego, and our pride, so that we do not ever cause one of the children of God to stumble in their faith, 
And furthermore, that we be fervent and watchful and courageous and relentless in our pursuit of our own personal holiness, willing to fight and to mortify and to go to war against our sins, since that is a mark of those who will receive the gift of eternal life. And finally, Father, since you have called us to be obedient and to sacrificially serve and love one another, let us be quick then to pursue peace with everyone so that we here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church of York can be a powerful, preserving and cleansing and life-giving witness to this fallen and depraved world all around us. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, did not say, blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who get the top positions in the church. Blessed are those who put others down so they can look good. Blessed are those who showcase how smart they are and tear down the faith of these little ones. Jesus Christ said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the peacemakers, for it is they who will be called the sons of God. Father, give us a spirit of peace here, peace that we have peace with you, Father, through the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and give us a spirit that we are all peacemakers here. Lord, we know as your children and part of your kingdom that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. However, on this side of eternity, we know that we still wrestle with sin and pride and ego and arrogance, and we might get on each other's nerves. Father, if we have any of those sinful attributes crouching at the door in our life, Father, let us be willing to do anything we need to do to cut the head off that snake so that we can come into this church with a humble and meek attitude to put ourselves last, to serve each other, and to build this church up. Let not the, fee- the yeast of the Pharisees permeate this church, Father, their ego and their pride, but instead let us be a salty, salty church in our obedience to Christ, and our desire to be holy, to mortify our sin, and to be at peace with one another. And let that testimony shine brightly to this dark world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the conclusion of our service this morning, let's at this time, church, prepare our hearts and our minds for the Lord's Supper. For communion, church is a time